Welcome to the Farm of the Future podcast, brought to you by RAISE in association with Innovation for Agriculture. This podcast explores how farm businesses can prepare for and adapt to the challenges affecting agriculture. In this podcast, we'll delve into everything from decarbonisation solutions to increasing farm biodiversity, always considering the impact on farm businesses, people working on farms, and also the benefits to food production and the environment. I'm Natasha Smith, and today I'm joined by Deborah Crossan, Head of Soils and Water at Innovation for Agriculture. For this episode, we're welcoming John Cherry to the podcast, a regenerative farmer and co-founder of Groundswell, the regenerative farming event that has rapidly grown from a gathering of 400 farmers in a field to one of the biggest and most looked forward to events in the farming calendar. Hi, John. It's great to have you joining us for today's episode. Uh, Just before we get going, the term regenerative agriculture seems to get used a lot, but I'm very aware it means different things to different people. So could you please kick us off by telling us a bit about what it means to you? Right. Thank you very much, um, Tash. um, Yes, well, regenerative agriculture means lots of different things to lots of people, but I think the description I use is that it is any farming system which basically uh, improves um, the functionality of any of the systems upon which we rely as farmers which isn't very sexy but there's, there's five really main systems that we rely on and there's the energy system the water system the mineral system community dynamics which I'll talk about and uh, the wider social and food systems um, that we operate in. And the first four really relate to the, mostly relate to the soil. And the energy, energy is is terribly important, but we rely on solar energy as farmers greatly, although we have um, the industrial food system, as we call it, that's a modern way of farming, very much relies on energy or solar energy that was um, hit the planet when the dinosaurs were roaming, um, what we call fossil fuels. And it, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy, crazy that we rely on something that happened millions of years ago and is running out fast. And we, if we can possibly use the solar energy, which is landing on, on our farm at the moment, uh, well, then it's free of charge and it's, it, it makes perfect sense. Nitrogen fertilizer is is very uh, fossil fuel energy um, intensive. Two percent of all our energy uses in the world is 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 is, is used to make nitrogen fertilizer, and it's kind of crazy. Um, so if we can avoid or cut back on that as much as possible, that makes life a lot easier. And of course, there's all the fuel energy, the diesel we use to drive our tractors and things. It's all problematic, so the less we can use, the better, if that makes sense. The second system is the water system. Again, we're not very good at using water. It it falls, at the moment, it's falling quite a lot on us. Um, Store that water on the land, um, so much the better. By improving our soils, we can ensure that the water that lands on on, on our farms actually soaks into the ground and is available 
for when the plants need it. So it's some drought prevention and flood prevention. I, I was going to say, John, I think um, I always believe that soil is, is the catalyst that starts farmers on the road to change. Uh, I don't know if I just made that up, but it always seems to be me. Once you talk, start talking to farmers about soil, it all starts to fall into place. Absolutely. I mean, that's what got me excited about the whole thing to start with. I'd, I'd always been worried how we mistreat our soils, but I didn't realise quite how much we were doing it and how easy it is to to look after the soil and how quickly you can repair your soil. Yeah, so, I mean, and, and that is just terribly exciting because it just, a healthy soil will uh, enable us to grow crops far more cheaply or grass or whatever. Absolutely. And it has all sorts of other benefits further down the line. Yeah, I mean, the soil is all about the soil, really. And it, it's, yeah. um, it, it's it's changing our farming practices to, to, to improve the soil and make the most of, of, of our everything that doesn't cost us money like sun and rain yeah um, all the free all the free issues that we've chosen to ignore uh, or slightly to ignore over the years which are sitting there for the taking i mean there's the trouble is there's too many people trying to sell us things which are shortcuts and we've been uh, we've been we've been um persuaded that it's a good idea i mean you know and certainly production has risen enormously with with the industrial way of farming but it's just i think if you do some true cost accounting of, of what it, all, all this stuff actually costs it doesn't add up yeah it's a trouble so yeah we we need to find a way of doing things as cheaply as possible but as well as possible i wondered what challenges you had on your farm which perhaps started started to make you think about change were there were there particular challenges if you can think back probably a while ago now well yeah i mean we've been kind of going i suppose the last dozen years or so we've been going down this route and every year we learn different things but it's why we started it was a mixture of, of i mean it's it, it appeals to baser instincts of, of sort of meanness and laziness um um, you know, it, it's it's you know I didn't want to spend any money that I didn't have to, and um, I didn't I wanted to cut down on the amount of time I spent sitting on a tractor, and the the whole no till approach, you know, so after harvest it always used to be our busiest time of the year. We were frantically cultivating our soils and rushing about, ploughing things up and trying to knock the plough down into a lovely seed bed and, and then get everything planted before it all got hideously wet again. So, you know, from harvest time till, till about now, we were frantically busy. And then when I realised we didn't need to do that and our soils would improve at the same time, that was the, that was the real catalyst um, to, to, to change. Because there's no doubt we, we were noticing that our soils were getting harder and harder to to work and our, our crops were yielding less and less. We had to put more and more on, you know, what we call the moron principle of, of having to apply more, more of everything, more sprays, more fertilizers. So to suddenly get to a stage where you, where you could use less and get the same results and by doing much less, that, that is very exciting. But of course, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch and, and you, you do get, 
it, 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 you can't just carry on with the old rotation of wheat, wheat and oilseed rape by doing this. You need to look after soils with, well, by basically um, employing the, the, the what we call the five principles of, of um, regenerative farming, which yeah. I'm sure you're all familiar with, but I can list them if you're, if you're not. But um, be good for the podcast to list them. I'll list, I'll list for, for, for people who, who are well. It, the, the the first thing is to is to minimise disturbance of the soil, which for us was no till to start with. Basically, leaving the soil intact and just scratching the next year's seeds into the surface, and that is terribly important because you know this once you start realising just what a fantastically complex ecosystem the soil is and it's it's it's, it's an extraordinary sort of I mean, it, it's just amazing and, and more and more is being discovered about this every day and when we started there didn't seem to be that much scientific work going on into the into all these creatures of the soil and that you know that now the more we find out about it the more important it seems to be to not disturb them, but it's not just not disturbing you. You've also got to feed feed the soil. So, the, so your you know, principal one is don't is minimal disturbance, which is not just physical disturbance, but it's also chemical disturbance. So you want to cut right down on the amount of fertilizer you put on because that upsets the balance by putting too much nitrogen on or phosphorus or whatever else it is, mm-hmm. and. Um, fungicides as well or insecticides in particular because you're dealing with billions and trillions of living creatures in the soil and they don't really like being sprayed much but crucially what they do want is to be fed by living plants so you know principle two is really having living roots in the soil for as long as possible because plants um, via photosynthesis convert carbon dioxide and water into sugars and the sugars you know turn into lots of complicated organic compounds which make the plant structure and the plant's roots and the plant seeds and all the rest of it but also the plants exude a surprising amount of what they produce into the soil to feed the soil bacteria and fungi predominantly around the soil roots mm-hmm. and stimulate all this activity which then in exchange for being fed by the plants, the bacteria and the fungi will feed the plants with water and, and nutrients which they couldn't otherwise access with their rather stumpy uh, little roots. And yeah. they look very fine, the roots of plants, but they're compared with the fungal mycelia, which will join up with them and spread right out into the soil profile to to, to extract goodness. Um, so there's a symbiotic relationship between the soil creatures and the, and the plants. But it only works when the plant's actually living. So what you really don't ever want is is bare ground with nothing growing, um, which is problematic when you're growing arable crops, but it is possible. And so you know, we found as the years went by how important it is to have cover crops and other things going on when we're not actually growing a crop so that that so that the soil is being fed. And then following on from that, it's, it's, it's terribly important to keep the soil covered. So the first principle is, is, is to not have any bare soil. If you actually haven't got anything growing, it's 
almost as important just to keep the soil covered with the trash of the previous year or the stubble or the chopped straw or whatever it is, so that the soil isn't being baked out by the sun or bombarded by heavy rain particles, which cap the top of the soil and stop yeah. air getting into the soil and water getting in and all the rest of it, and then you get erosion. I've heard, all I've heard that called the I've heard that called the soil armor. Soil armor, yeah. The Americans call it armor, yeah. And it's it's, it's it is terribly important, armoring the soil, protecting the surface of the soil. Mm-hmm. So you've got minimal disturbance, living roots in the soil, protecting the surface, and then diversity of plants is terribly important because just to grow a very limited number of plants, you're you're not getting the you're not feeding all the bugs in the soil. You're not you're not making full use of of, of um, because in nature you don't get a monoculture you don't have crops of wheat in nature you have a you you have lots and lots of different things all growing at once and they all interact with each other in, in happy ways um which is is a diversity diversity produced is what i was talking about community dynamics as a you know we we were always taught that you know sort of darwinist idea but all these plants are competing with each other but in reality they're very often um, interacting happily with each other, they 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 you you know having lots of different roots and sort of different root types and different root architecture. And so it's making lots of use of the soil, and they're all feeding different microbes, which all all help help each other um, to keep the soil yeah. healthy. So you know, our, much our, our best soils on the farm are all underneath permanent pasture, where there's lots of different. Um, grasses and, and um, legumes and broadleaf weeds and all sorts of things all growing together and all the time there's always soil cover there's no bare soil there's lots of things constantly photosynthesizing pouring goodness into the soil and the soil under permanent pasture is lovely chocolate cakey texture lovely soil whereas our arable fields were sort of slabs of clay when we started and now they're getting much more like our permanent permanent pasture soils they're still a way off, but it, it's we know what's possible because it's the same soil type, but it's just much much more soil organic matter. Um, Absolutely, it must have been a real revelation when you could see that transition or, or those two soils getting closer to each other. It's terribly exciting. I mean, it, it it's very and it's very pleasing and just seeing how everything gets better every year. Every year, and, and as we learn more about it, and it, it is, um, yeah, no, you're feeling like you're on the on the right track, and and then the, the the final thing which which really makes a massive difference is introducing or reintroducing livestock into the into the rotation somewhere. So you're because I mean, we we tend to grow a four year lay, a herbal lay. Uh, we try to spread it out across the whole rotation. It's quite difficult because a four-year lay in a in a arable rotation takes mm-hmm. up a rather lot of room. But it's where we can do it. You need fencing and water and all the rest of it, and animals, of course. And you need to know what to do with the animals. But it's a uh, but whether it's pastured chickens or or cattle or sheep or llamas or whatever it is, it enables you to have that. It, you, you sort of tick all the five principles 
all in the same field all at the same time, and you get an amazing um, reaction from the soil. It, it just improves enormously, very quickly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, our organic matter levels have doubled or more in the last 10 years, and and they're getting 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 higher and higher organic matter levels all the time. So, And that organic matter is carbon, which started off in the atmosphere. So it's a fantastic way of sequestrating carbon from the atmosphere into the soil. It's terribly, it, it, it ticks all sorts of boxes. Yeah. In terms of, you know, um, net zero and all the rest of it. But it's... Um, that was another one of my burning questions, because when we all sort of quite a few years ago started talking about soil, we didn't realise it was going to lead us so, well, I didn't realise, I better say, it didn't, heading into the carbon climate conversations that we're having now, and is that trend seems to have just been, um, over the last 10 years, quite astonishing. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's got very confused by... The fossil fuel companies have pulled an absolute blinder by ma- managing to persuade people that cows burp methane and therefore we should get rid of all cows, um, rather than realizing you know that actually most of the methane that's in the currently in the atmosphere and it shouldn't be there has come from fracking shale gas or um, mm. or digging up digging up um, oil. There's huge amounts of methane being plumed off into the atmosphere. And that's the real problem, rather than cows, which are a, a part of have a, a part of the carbon cycle, and they do burp methane. But they also there's all sorts of reasons why methane from cows isn't a problem. And you know, there's an hour and a half podcast before you start, so I won't I won't embark on it. But it's a it is a complete red herring to worry about pastured cattle um, yeah. creating a methane problem for the world because it's it's they are um they do burp methane but the methane they burp is almost instantly converted back into carbon dioxide or into you know less problematic gases by hydroxyl radicals in the atmosphere which come from the water vapor which comes off the meadows and interacts with sunlight and, and there's also methane eating bacteria in the soil there's all sorts of things that would go on to to stop this being a problem but if you have gas pouring out of an oil rig um that doesn't happen so and that that you know and that's that, that these, these are the places that the methane is coming from and is causing a problem not that, i think um i think tash has just lined you up john for a new podcast discussing the methane <laughs> cycle so i'm very sorry to have led you into that <laughs> space <laughs> no well i'm sure I, we can find people who can talk about it rather more lucidly than i can but i <laughs> I just I know enough about it to know that cows are the solution, not the problem. But anyway, it's livestock on the farm is is it just makes such a difference, and they're, they're so enjoyable as well. And uh, and and they I mean they add they add so much to the you know going back to old mixed farming. It just it it really helps the fertility of, of it helps the all the mineral cycles in the on the farm and things. And we cut our fertilizer bills. Well, we haven't used any P and K for some time. We're just using the keeping it keeping it cycling around, yeah. and then, yeah. you know our clays are full of all this stuff. And and if we've got a, lo- a lot of bugs in the ground, they can access it in a way that um, plant roots can't. And and so you know we're, we we can we we've cut back on on all that kind of stuff, which all helps 
the farm to make money. Absolutely. I mean, we we were talking about animals to arable just before COVID and we had a conference and some of the feedback that we'd been getting from barriers to change was people sort of lost the skills of raising cattle and looking after livestock. Um, But from what you're saying, that your livestock are happier and healthier and presumably there's less challenges with livestock in this system. Yeah, I mean, we've we've always had a few cattle. So, you know, we had a lovely bloke who looked after them who unfortunately um, died a few years ago. And so I've been looking after them ever since. And I thought it was going to take all day, every day. But I mean, I move them, I move our our cattle every day onto fresh pastures, practice mob grazing. And it's, um, it's much, much quicker and easier. And the cows are much healthier. So we just, we don't bother our vets at all because the cows are doing what they're designed to do, which is kind of move about, eat grass, poo and pee all over it and re-fertilise it and move on. And it's um, and they don't get ill and uh, touch wood and um, they, they thrive. And because they're all in one mob, you just go there, move the electric fence, let them through into the, the next cell and you'll, you can see them all going past so any problems you're, you're well aware of. In the olden days, I used to have little mobs of cattle dotted about all over the place. And it took me half the morning to go around and find them all and check that they're... And it, you'd get to a field and there'd be a couple of dozen cows in the bottom of the field and you'd say, oh, well, they're all there, they must be all right, and go away. And there might be a lame one in there you don't find out about for a few days or whatever. Whereas if you're watching them go past, you, you're you're terribly aware of how how well or not they are, and they're always very well. And it's um, because they're <clears throat> because they they're eating. We we're part of the pasture for life um, organization, and it's it's a uh, they don't get any hard feed at all. They only ever eat grass or hay or silage in the winter. Um, or grass, they eat pastures, so our pastures are full of other things, or the herbal lays are full of herbs, and, and they get everything they need from this. And you can tell by the, um, the if you if you look at the, 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 the when you kill them, the, the meat of the cow is, has got a fantastic balance of omega-3s and omega-6s. But as soon as you start feeding <coughs> cattle on hard food, the, the balance goes right out and you get far more omega-3s or I can't remember which is worse now. Anyway, but it, you, you get the wrong balance. Yeah. Which you eat, then if you eat that meat, it gives you the wrong balance. So, I mean, it, it's, it's it really the whole thing is about having healthy soils producing healthy plants, which feed healthy animals, which feed healthy humans, or if yeah. we eat the plants, it's, we get healthy humans. <clears throat> and quite obviously, what's happening if you look at the. Uh, how enormous the national health, the so-called health services, it's actually a sort of disease service because everybody, <clears throat> the whole population seems to be getting iller and iller. And I can't help but feel that the, the food most people are eating hasn't got this balance. And, if, you know, if you're, if you're eating what's basically a, a not a particularly healthy cow or pig or ch- chicken or whatever it is, you're not going to be healthy yourself. And, um, Sorry, I'm coughing away, so I'm obviously not very healthy either. <laughs> it's like half an hour's talking, I think, that, um, because that. Yeah, no, but... it's a sandwich for lunch gone the wrong way. But it's 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 so it, it's it's 
you know, the lovely thing about regenerative farming is it doesn't just it's not just for us, but it's also for the people who eat the food. You know, it, it's a um, it just makes perfect sense. And it's not the people who just eat the food; it's all the locals who don't get flooded or don't get swamped in dust storms or or you know get spray drift or whatever. You know, everybody in the village is so much happier about the way we farm now than we were before even if they're not eating our cows which they which one day we get around to having a farm shop or something they'll be able to but it's a um yeah it's it's it it's it's good for everybody apart from perhaps the people who make um sprays and fertilizers and um, <laughs> yeah probably less so um we, we ha- we've we've had such a brilliant conversation and we haven't even mentioned groundswell yet but i suppose it goes without saying that must be one of your biggest joys it's a, it's an utter joy. It's an utter joy. I mean, it it all started off a few years ago, four hundred farmers in a field and a and a barn chatting about the way they were doing things. And it, I mean, we started it because no one else seemed to be promoting this system. It seemed to because it suited everybody. I thought, well, you know, how odd that no one knows about this. And we sat around thinking, well, why does no one know about it? We think, well, that we'll have to do something about that. And so we. And it the, the first year was a was a joy, and the second year was even more joyful. And then, you know, we've now got up to seven thousand people who all come along to the show, and it's and there's just so much there's so much going on there. There's so many interesting things going on around the world and all around the country, and to get them all in one place, and it's just it it's a it's a just a sort of fountain of loveliness. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's an utter joy. It's an utter joy to put on. It's um and to be a part of um yeah that's, thank you very much that's good to hear because it's one of my joys as well and i'd, ha- I'd hate to miss it if, if it wasn't giving you so much pleasure too <laughs> yeah it's a lot of fun but it's and it and it in a pleasing i mean the timing was spot on fun. we tried to do a similar thing about 10 years ago almost exactly 10 years ago we first started flirting with the idea and we couldn't get any real interest from anybody in the um to, to, to come along so we we sort of shelved the idea for a bit and then and then when we finally got around to it the time was right and it it, it it's just all about timing i think these things and it just mm-hmm. um and it and it and it was you know it's perfect and my nephew was was bored working in london so we got him back to help run it and he's terribly good at sort of putting on a show and we've got my niece and my daughter involved with helping him it's a lovely sort of family affair and my brother and yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's a fun thing. It's a fun but a very important thing, yes. I've heard it called Glastonbury for Farmers um, more recently. <laughs> yeah, we've yeah, we've even got a bit of music now. So it's a, Decato played a storming set last year and all these, all these farmers dancing away in the early hours of the morning, keeping the village awake. It's, um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, and it's getting more and more <laughs> Glastonbury-like. yeah. I think we're, yeah, we might stop before we get to quarter of a million people. Well, it's, it's a brilliant job that you've done there. Fantastic. Thank you. Could we go into a little bit about uh, for people who are perhaps sort of getting started with regenerative practices, um, like how, how, like what's the best way to sort of dip your toe in, I guess? Like, do you have to do, follow all the principles together to see results or um, can people sort of, try one thing first like what's your advice to somebody I guess based on what you've learned I mean as we had Gabe Brown around last year we did a sort of one-off kind of 
um, Brownsville event in, in last November when he was over in the country and um, and and he talks about the sixth principle. Um, I think he's got seven principles now. He seems to expand it. Anyway, but his his one is the crucial one of context, and you need to you need to know your context. And it, 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 context is kind of where you are, what your local market is, what your situation is. Are you on a short term tenancy? Are you you know a long term landholder or owner or what will grow on your farm, you know, what you can profitably sell, what you can, there's all sorts of things and what your soil's like, what your rainfall's like, you know, should you be growing arable crops at all or, you know, should you be all, all permanent pasture or, and I, you know, I think realistically an awful lot of, um, an awful lot of crops are grown on land, which isn't really suitable for cropping, but we've kind of got into the habit of doing it because, um, it used to be quite profitable and everyone's got the kit now. So they carry on doing it even as they lose money. And it's, um, <clears throat> but you can still grow crops quite cheaply by getting a no-till drill and slotting it into ground. But you've got to, you've got to get the timings absolutely right. And you've got to get your soil in the right condition before you start and make sure that it's flat and you know, it's not full of ruts and ridges and um, the drainage is good. So your people, people are rather apt to think, "Oh well, it's you know, basically, it's no-till farming. I'll, I'll just buy a no-till drill and, and, and not change anything else." And we did that for a year or two, and it, and it worked fantastically well. We had two very good years where we made record profits, um, and everything grew really well. And then the weather turned against us a bit, and we realised we had to do slightly more. And that's when cover crops and things come into their own, and, and getting the rotation right, and, and, and you know, not growing dozens of cereal crops in a row or whatever, or or maybe growing lots of different things at the same time, or, you know, having wheat and beans or, you know, mixing things up a bit. But then you need to be, you know, you need to be sure that you can harvest them and separate the seeds afterwards or do what you've got to do. Or it's, it's, it's I think, the, you know, the first thing you have to do is just sort of, stand back and, and have a good look at your operation and, and work out what you're trying to achieve and, 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 and what's possible and what isn't possible and then go from there. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, context is, is absolutely key. And I think, you know, we certainly were guilty of, of not taking it seriously. And I think a surprising number of, of farmers are in the same boat of just doing what they've always done and, 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 and they hope, you know, by doing the odd little tweak, like changing a, a drill, will make all the difference. And it, and it was a, certainly it was a kind of gateway drug for us buying a no-till drill, um, and it 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 set us off on a very happy path. But it's it's not enough on its own. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I've spoken to a couple of farmers recently who've gone sort of more for the going cold turkey route on um, inputs, and um, you know, you obviously get quite a jolt in your your, your yields and everything and it's um it's interesting like sort of trying to find that level of kind of how to start making the change in a way that's right for your business which I guess is what the whole context thing is around really and what's absolutely. right for you absolutely and it, it's a um yeah I mean it yeah and it and it's similar for 
livestock farmers, you know, everyone's got expecting to you know, maximize output, but in fact, you know, you need to optimize output and you very often make much more profit. You know, pro, you know, yield is vanity and profit is sanity. And it's the same with, with cropping. We got into the habit of planting more spring crops, which we couldn't really, when we were cultivating and you plowed over winter, if you had a very wet winter, you, by the time you could get on the land, it was often too late to get a sensible crop and the, and the soil had gone a bit horrible. And, and it, 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 So we tried to plant everything in the winter. Now we spread things out over the so plant stuff in the spring and you, you will get a reduced yield, but much cheaper to grow. And you have to look at the sort of profitability of the whole rotation rather than an individual winter wheat crop, which might fill the barn up, but not... Um, not not produce the profit your overall system will do if, if you're growing lots of different things. But again, it's it's your context and whether you can cope with all this different stuff or or whatever. Yeah, is there anything that sort of knowing what you know now that you would sort of do differently thinking back to sort of your earlier years when you started getting into no till and it's it's applying it's applying all the principles. All the time being aware of, of, of your, the fact you're trying to imitate what nature does. Nature does things very well, and if you can, if you can observe what works very well on on the fringes of your farm, the, the woods and the hedges and the permanent pastures or whatever, and see see how well they do, then and and what makes them work, and then think, well, how can I apply that to my cropland? Yeah, it it, it helps a lot. It, it's yeah, you know, Marvin Nature's been doing this stuff for hundreds of millions of years. So they, you know, there's a reason nature does what it does. Um, so, yeah, we can imitate that rather than think that we're a bit cleverer because we've got a, a few big bags of, of um, urea and, uh, and a sprayer. Yeah, yeah. If, if, we can, if, we can, if we can get our soil so healthy that the plants we grow in is are healthy, we won't need to put a fungicide on them. We shouldn't need to fertilise it. Yeah. But you know we're not there yet. I mean, every year's a every year's a school year. You know, it's um, it's it's just it's a lot of fun. But it, it it's a it's it's more challenging. You have to think about things, which is again, you know, we we got into the habit of relying on our agronomist to tell us what to do. Um, say, oh no, this is this is the variety you ought to be growing, and these are the sprays you ought to be using, and this much fertilizer and. And then next year you can grow this, and and and, and you stop thinking for yourself, and then you you suddenly have to you have to start thinking and, and looking and observing, and it's much much more engaging and much more fun, but it's a little bit harder work yeah. mentally. But um, you know, you against that, you've got all these hours and hours. You're not sitting on a tractor bouncing around trying to knock the head out of solid lumps of clay um, because the clay is all lovely and chocolate cakey underneath your underneath your feet i've got quite a, a good gauge on um how well people's farms are going because if the farmers have got time to come and talk to us i always know things are going well and i think that's a really good sign of um the the talking to regenerative farmers do have time to come and speak to us and give up their time and give us a really bright future message which is brilliant people become a little bit so evangelical about it <laughs> It's, it's a good news thing. It's spreading the good news. You become, you know, you you, you want other farmers to have the, the joy of of this way. I mean, and and, it, and it's not just that we're not bouncing on tracks the whole time. It's just every time you walk across a field, the sky. 
Hylarks are getting up and tweeting away. I'm so deaf now, I can't hear them, but I can see their little beaks going up and down. And there's a there's a charm of 200-odd goldfinches on the herbal lays at the moment eating the chicory seeds. And the barn owls going around because there's so many field voles in the middle of fields. And there's kestrels and sparrowhawks and peregrine falcons we've got now and red kites everywhere and buzzards. And, and all these big, big predators are a sign that there's just an awful lot more food, wild food available. And it just it just lifts the spirits. You know, it's it just, um, it's a joy. It's a joy to be farming. You know, as before, as a way of just everything was getting a little bit scarcer and, uh, you know, we just weren't seeing the birds we saw when we were kids. Now we're, we're seeing many more. And it's, um, or more than when we, you know, all sorts of birds. We, we never had green woodpecker. We've got so many ants now in the, in the, uh, in the, in the meadows. But there's just a green woodpeckers everywhere, and I never saw a green woodpecker on the farm here till about ten years ago, and it's um, it's just lovely. Yeah, sounds perfect. Thank you. We always try to round off with looking to the future in some way. So I'd be curious to know, John, what you see uh, as being the future of your farm over the next few years, and um, what your next steps are. Yeah, good question. I mean, I think. I mean, I was talking right at the beginning about the various different systems that we're trying to improve, and there's the local systems about our soil, but it's really um, there's other systems, the society, you know, the local area and the 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 wider food system, which I can't help thinking doesn't really suit farmers very well. Where you know we find our our prices are being screwed down by the supermarkets who buy it, or the or the or the com, you know commodity people who buy the wheat and barley or whatever. <clears throat> and we should be we should be focusing more on on growing food for our local areas, and it would make a far better food system and much more food resilience. I can't help thinking that our current government have no idea at all about. Um, food resilience and you think we can buy beef from us you know hormone filled beef from australia or whatever it is uh it's completely crazy and it's so um we will be looking at um selling stuff locally and trying to rejuvenate the local food system and work with others locally so that we can we can provide an alternative to supermarkets so people can buy good food produced by people who really care about it um, and then that, I think that interaction, talking to people who've done this, it's just, again, it's a joy of mingling with people who, your neighbours who, who just love what you're doing and the food you're producing. And that again lifts the spirits and, and you know, and you're not alone. The trouble is an awful lot of farmers are, are rather lonely on their farms. They all, you know, we don't, go to market like we used to or whatever and we don't see nearly as many people as as, as we should um, I mean we're living in the outer reaches of London here so you know the place is heaving with people but a lot of farms are in the middle of nowhere. A fellow called Richard Perkins who was um, talking at Groundswell this year who's farming in the absolutely middle of nowhere in Sweden and he's just created a fantastic system of, uh, of supplying food to to all the locals and working with other farmers and 
and you know, and the feedback you get from locals about the, you know, the, the just how much you know they appreciate being able to get out in the country and see everything and see all the all the changes that are being made. And I think it's, um, yeah, that's that's probably the next the next phase. I mean, all every year we're learning how to farm differently, but it's, um, I think, the farm of the future will will have that kind of interaction with with our neighbours much more. It's so exciting, isn't it? Like, it kind of, I think you said a bit earlier about it sort of starting with the soil and like farming a healthy soil and stuff. But then like the, the natural end point is, you know, the potential improvements to human health for. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what I'm trying to say here, but it's like you've, in sort of regenerative farming sort of spheres, you've got all this sort of good stuff happening in terms of um, benefiting farms and farms being able to become more profitable through Sort of reducing some inputs and uh, no till and all that and then it's kind of it's the next it almost feels a little bit like the next step on in terms of um those like wider community benefits i guess yeah i mean and it's, it's also just keeping keeping them keeping the money in the in the local area rather than mm, yeah going off to, to cargill or whoever and you know it's um it's selling we're selling animals to the supermarket they just all zoom off to some slaughterhouse somewhere up north and Get distributed all to the supermarkets around the country. It seems far more sense to to kill them locally and and and, um, and feed them locally. And same with the grain and, and all the rest of it. And, and, and provide work for local millers and bakers and butchers and cooks and restaurants and I don't know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and as you say, then you know you're getting the sort of planetary health benefits and the community health benefits. And yeah. No, it's it's very exciting. It's very exciting time to be a farmer, and and, it's, and you know the whole Grunsville experience is that it's just it's not just us. There's just you know there's just thousands of people getting getting involved, and it's um very very exciting. Very hard to keep up with all the exciting things going on. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on today, John. It's been a pleasure talking to you and hearing more about Grunsville and your take on regenerative farming as well. Thank you. that was brilliant there was so much to talk about then what were your sort of key takeaways Debs from speaking to John I think mainly that John is really um now reaping the benefits of having been involved in regenerative agriculture for quite a long time and you could see you know the 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 passion that he'd got for how the farm had changed the wildlife that they'd got the ease of farming that he was able to speak about, but also that there was a real future ahead and he was looking forward to so many new situations coming from the benefits of this, starting to talk about diet, the value of food and climate change. It all just went on and on. And I thought that was just such a passionate response over his um, farming career. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And um it was interesting hearing his take on the different systems as well with um, the energy and uh, like nutrient cycling, water. And then the he spoke about the wider context of people in the community as well. And it's it, it really helped me to kind of join the dots, I guess, between farming for your soil and then like the wider benefits of that and how it can help like both 
the farm business, but local community, wildlife and everything. It helped. It did certainly helped me to join the dots. Yeah, it was nice to hear his ambition for the farm of the future. Thank you for joining us for the Farm of the Future podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard about today, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast as we'd love to hear your thoughts and it will help others to discover it too. We'll be back next month to explore another exciting topic which impacts the future of farming.